0: Chapter 35 Bruised Camels Commences with a quote by Zacchaeus Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I was sitting in the function room of a five-star hotel on the banks of Melbourne's Yarra River. It was one of a few opportunities where both my parents and I had been able to get away from the hustle of life to travel together and one of the even fewer times that we were staying five-star. Due to the fairly recent sale of a profitable business, our purses were weighing us down even more than usual, and we were each in need of renewed inspiration on how we could best distribute more money into God's work. Not having been raised in wealthy environments, we had no network of close friends with whom we could share our challenges, so we were searching for other Christians in similar situations. The Forum was our perfect opportunity. Founded by Christian philanthropists, The Forum is a small fellowship of Christian donors who are united in their goals of serving God with the blessings he has given them. Some wear their wealth on their sleeves, while others give no visible indication of it at all. But they each genuinely want to serve their Lord. The Forum members meet together annually to encourage and inspire each other. It is a safe place where profits and dollar values can be shared without hesitation, and the daily struggles of managing God's financial blessings can be aired without fear of criticism or discrimination. Okay, so it might be nauseating to learn about people who sometimes feel lonely and discriminated against because of their prosperity. I can certainly understand the repulsion, but many readers will actually know the feeling all too well. Imagine going to a party and not being able to talk freely about your job your home, your travels or your goals. You can't say a single word without first measuring it through the filter of normalcy. We live in a tall poppy world and no one wants to be the one that gets the chop. To let it be known that your New Year's resolution is not about losing weight or getting a pay rise, but to increase your weekly donations to charities from $20,000 to $50,000 or from $50,000 to $100,000 is social suicide. There comes a point in wealth management where you realise that you can no longer speak freely about your income, your lack of debt, your real goals and the real burden of responsibility you feel in ensuring that you use the blessings just as God would want you to. It's not socially acceptable and it's not wise. That's why we found ourselves high above the Yarra, sharing stories, meals, burdens and the occasional New Year's resolution with other Christians struggling to manage and responsibly distribute God's financial blessings. The Forum is a perfect opportunity for sharing and hearing experiences and opinions about Christ-centred stewardship. After all, if there's one thing that millionaires have even more than money, it's opinions. Apparently these types of gatherings have been occurring for many years, and we're just newbies to the scene. In the United States, there is apparently a network called the Bruised Camels, who meet for similar reasons. They must be a pretty clandestine group, or maybe they have closed shop as my online searches could unearth only a few obtuse references to them. According to a 1987 article in Leadership Journal, the first group was dubbed the Bruised Camels by a member who said he felt like a bruised camel trying to squeeze into the kingdom. That's a pretty apt description for people who are being spirit-led to try to get through that eye of a needle that Jesus so famously described in three of the Gospels, right after his appeal to the rich young ruler. Let's have a look in Mark 10:23 to 25. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus' eye of a needle may have been the smallest night gate in the wall of Jerusalem, just big enough for a man to clamber through, or the tiny eye of a literal needle. Either way, getting a camel through it alive in one piece was humanly impossible. How many times have I struggled with these texts? What hope is there for you and for me? In Mark 10:26 we read, "The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, "Who then can be saved?" Jesus gave them, and us, great hope in His reply: "With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God." The disciples seemed to be unaware, as I was until recent years, that slums are not just confines for the poor. the rich can also live in slums of wealth. Ugly places where selfishness, greed and arrogance lurk down every alley, and pride can leave you fat-headed and spiritually battered. Slums of success, slums of excess, slums of affluence. Not pretty. Jesus spent much of his time on earth with the poor and outcasts of society. It seems that almost every time he came in contact with the wealthy or the powerful ruling classes, things got ugly. Yet he was still very clear in his statements that the rich can be saved, and that he desperately wants to save them. So if rich people can be saved, albeit with some pain, surely there must be some biblical examples of them genuinely giving their hearts to Christ. There are. Remember our little friend Zacchaeus? Short in stature, high in wealth? He was a tax collector, or to be more true to the text, he was a chief tax collector, who had set himself up very nicely by working for the hated Romans, and he'd added to his booty by the occasional bit of fraud. But when Jesus touched his wealthy heart, whammo! In Luke nineteen eight to 10 we read, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, a rich man on his way to heaven. Or should I say, a once was rich man on his way to heaven? I find it more than a little interesting that, on seeing Zacchaeus's repentance and generosity, Christ referred to him as a son of Abraham. Perhaps Christ was remembering what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1-2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Christ blessed Zacchaeus with salvation. In response, Zacchaeus started to bless others with his wealth and in turn was blessed even more. And what about Matthew, the disciple? In Matthew 9.9 we read, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up. And followed him. We don't know for sure that he was wealthy, but he was a tax collector and he knew how to throw a pretty substantial party, so he didn't seem to be lacking in funds. Jesus called Matthew and he followed. You might remember Nicodemus, too, the Jewish ruler who came to Jesus by night. He had a problem, a few problems, in fact. He was rich, he was powerful, he was respected. He was, in summary, very blessed. Maybe the blessings had come due to his living according to Moses' words in Deuteronomy. Maybe a life of obedience had led to a life of blessings. We don't know. But he came to Jesus by night to try to avoid being seen by his peers and colleagues. He desperately wanted to be saved. Nicodemus had lived an upright and respectable life. But in his deepest heart, that place no one else ever accessed, he knew that something was still missing and he knew that he had to fill the void, before it was too late. Jesus saw in Nicodemus a person who genuinely did want to do the right thing, a man who, if devoted to God, could be a real kingdom expander. So, in their one brief encounter, Jesus gave Nicodemus what is arguably the most simple and beautiful description of salvation that he ever presented. That single conversation included not only the original message on how we must all be born again, though that alone would have made it one of Christ's most important discourses, it also included the prophetic words that Jesus must be lifted up like Moses' serpent in the wilderness, that he might draw all men unto him. But both of these, as beautiful as they are, fade quietly into the background when we realise that it was to Nicodemus, Nicodemus himself, that Jesus spoke these most precious words for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him Nicodemus's heart was touched he loved Jesus and believed he was the Messiah but tradition tells us that unlike Zacchaeus and Matthew He didn't give away half or all of his assets, leave his respectable career, or tread the dusty roads with Jesus. He actually went back to his plush office in the Sanhedrin. Now before you start thinking, aha, there it is, the Bible does tell me that I can truly love Jesus and believe he's the Messiah and still keep all my wealth. Nicodemus actually made a very calculated and dangerous decision. He chose to stay in his office because he knew that his colleagues desperately wanted to kill Jesus and to discredit his ministry. Nicodemus, through his love for Jesus, wanted to do all he could to protect Christ, and he knew the best place he could do that was as an undercover agent, right in the midst of the vultures. Mission impossible? John 7 shows Nicodemus putting his neck on the block for Jesus. In a heated scene where the other Sanhedrin members are trying to arrest, charge and kill Jesus, Nicodemus throws a curveball to try to distract them and defend Christ. As a result, he is accused of being one of Jesus' disciples. His decision to remain a member of the Sanhedrin, even after meeting Christ at night, was all the more dangerous due to the fact that staying in his network of wealthy and powerful friends could very easily have cost him his eternal life too. The temptations to doubt his new beliefs, to trust in his wealth, and to be as proud and hypocritical as his colleagues were, were all very real. But through his love for Jesus, and by God's grace, Nicodemus held on. After Jesus was crucified, we see Joseph of Arimathea, another undercover wealthy disciple, and Nicodemus preparing his body for burial. Both men had followed from afar while Jesus was alive. But when they saw him lifted up, like the serpent in the wilderness, they were truly drawn to him and converted. When the eleven disciples had fallen away in fear and sadness at Jesus' crucifixion, these two men took their bold and perilous stand for him. Nicodemus never looked back. He became an active member of the early church and used his wealth and contacts to do all he could to spread the gospel. We're told that he died a poor man, having given his all for his saviour. Almost in answer to the disciples' astonishment about Christ's eye-of-a-needle comments, the New Testament gives regular reference to people of significant means who gave their hearts and their means to God. I thank God for the hope I've received from their stories. Paul also gives timely advice to the rich to help them see through their jungle of assets to the light of heaven. In 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, he tells Timothy what to say to rich Christians in his area. Can a rich person enter heaven? Absolutely. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But with God, all things are possible. We need to let go of our pride, our self-confidence, our hope in our riches, and let God lovingly lead us day by day. As part of the process, we also need to humbly remember that our seemingly large donations are no better in any way at all than the widow's mites. It's not about the number of zeros. It's about our hearts. It may hurt having some of our baggage removed as we trim down to get through the eye of the needle. Some of our desires and assets might have become such an integral part of who we are that they need to be almost surgically removed. We need to be refined in the fire and polished. It's not easy being bruised. Will you join me for the pummeling?